0: Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go. Go. And be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer. And you may be thrown into the prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Well,
1: keep your Bibles open there, because uh, we're going to be looking at that passage together. Uh, we're looking all week at the Sermon on the Mount. And as I said yesterday, this is how Jesus tells us what a Christian is like. He's really defining to us, uh, showing to us what a Christian is like, what the attitudes of a Christian are, what the values of a Christian are. That's, that's the, the purpose here of the Sermon on the Mount. And so yesterday we were looking at salt and light and we were saying that we are uh, different and therefore we make a difference in the world. We are salt and light in this world. And today we're going to answer the question, well, how are we different? What makes us different? And we're going to look at this passage that was read to us earlier. And I guess when you look at uh, verse uh, 17 there, um, there is an unspoken question behind that verse. Jesus says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. And there were probably people who did think that. Probably the scribes and Pharisees who loved the law. The law was important to them. And it seemed to them that Jesus had no regard for God's law. He continually broke the Sabbath laws that they had. He healed on the Sabbath. He picked grain on the Sabbath. And he spoke a lot about grace, even these uh, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we didn't look at, the Beatitudes, talking about how you come into God's kingdom, into the kingdom of heaven. And it's not about obeying God's law, but it's about being poor in spirit and mourning over your sins. And so you can quite imagine that there are people around who are thinking, this man, Jesus, doesn't care about God's law. And Jesus says, don't think that. Don't think that I have come to abolish uh, the law or the prophets. Um, And in fact, he goes on to say that. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has a high regard for God's law. He says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, we probably don't catch the full force of that. But the people who were hearing Jesus must have taken a big intake of breath when Jesus said that. How can our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees? The scribes and Pharisees were the professionals. You know, if you are a scribe, you studied from childhood until the age of 40 God's law. You knew it inside out, and the Pharisees were very strict about keeping God's law. In fact, they were so strict that they added to God's law so they wouldn't break God's law. And so they would fast like twice a week and uh, tithe right down even to the the very herbs that they would use in their foods. And so there Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, these these professionals, I guess it would be something like saying, you cannot enter the World Cup unless you play better than Germany. Or you cannot enter the Great British Bake Off unless you cook better than Mary Berry. Or you cannot enter the Eurovision Song Contest unless you sing better than One Direction. Or maybe not that one, anyway. <laughs> but people think, how is it possible? We can't do that. We'd never be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is showing here that he has a concern for God's law. God's law is important. Why? Not simply because it's something that's written up. But God's law reflects God. It shows us what pleases him. It shows us what God is like. And if we were made to reflect God, to show his glory, then when we break his law, we are not fulfilling the purpose for which we are made. In fact, we are misrepresenting God. And so there's no way at all that Jesus could come and abolish God's law. He had, the law is too important for Jesus to come and abolish it. But then that leaves us with a problem. And that problem is very clear when you see what, how Jesus expounded God's law. We read together those uh, verses there from verse 21 when he speaks about do not murder. And we might just hear that command and think, well, we've obeyed it. We haven't physically killed somebody. But when Jesus expounds that law, when he takes that apart, when he shows us what this really means, then we start to become a little bit more uncomfortable. Because Jesus goes on there in verse 22, he says, if you've ever said a word against somebody in anger or thought something bad about somebody. Seeking to destroy somebody um, with your words or in your heart is breaking that law, do not murder. And then in verses twenty-three and twenty-four he shows us that the uh keeping of the law is not just a negative, it's just not it's not just um do not murder somebody, but it's also be reconciled. It's positive as well. It's not just don't hate somebody, but it's be reconciled with that person as well. And so when you start to understand that, you start to see that God's law goes much deeper. It's not just about physically killing somebody, but it's having a hatred in your heart towards somebody or saying angry words to somebody who's seeking to destroy their life. And then it's not even just that, but it's be reconciled with your enemy. And then you think, well, how is this possible? How can anybody keep God's law? This is not good news. When someone says to you, just be good, be moral, obey God's laws, and you will be okay with God, that is not good news when you understand God's law. Goes much deeper and it crushes us, it kills us because you start to see that it is impossible. God's law begins to show us that we are unable to keep his law, and therefore there is no hope for us. Except, Jesus says, verse 17, I have not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. What does he mean by that? He has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's come to fulfill the Old Testament. Everything that the Old Testament pointed towards. All the promises that there are there in the Old Testament. All of the pictures that are given there in the Old Testament are fulfilled in him, he's saying. Right back through uh, Genesis 3.15 when we have the first promise that God is going to do something about the sin in this world he's going to send a deliverer right from there right the way through the old testament jesus says i've come to fulfill all of those promises of a messiah of a servant king of a savior i am the fulfillment of them all and all of the pictures that we find in the old testament too the tabernacle or the what later became the temple that meeting place of god and man jesus is the fulfillment of that he is the ultimate tabernacle temple, because he is God and man, and he brings God to men. He is the fulfillment of that. He is the he is the great prophet. He is the true king. He is the true priest. And Matthew, in his gospel, is very concerned about that. That is one of the words that you find as you read through Matthew's gospel. Uh, fulfillment. This was done to fulfill. And Jesus here is saying. I am that fulfillment. I am Jesus Christ. And sometimes we think of Christ as being just a a family name, the surname of Jesus. It's not. It's a title. It means anointed king. He is the anointed king, the son of David, the true king who will reign in righteousness over this whole world. He is the son of Abraham. So that all the promises that were given to Abraham, that in Abraham there will be blessing through all to people of every nation, tribe, and tongue. He's the fulfillment of that. It's in Christ that blessing comes to all nations. So he's the fulfillment of the prophets, but he says that he's also the fulfillment of the law as well. And we find, well, what does that mean? And if you just turn back a little bit uh, to Matthew chapter 3, and you have this very strange incident that happens. John the Baptist has been preaching a, a baptism of repentance, and then one day Jesus comes and he says to uh, John uh, that he wants to be baptised by him, and John is completely confused by this. You just look at John chapter, uh, sorry Matthew chapter uh, three, and he says there, um, verse thirteen: Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is uh, proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. John's confused by that. He's like saying, no, hold on, Jesus. Surely it should be the other way around. Surely I should be taking your place instead of you taking my place. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus is coming here and saying, I have come to take your place. I have come to be a substitute. I have come to obey in your place, to fulfill all righteousness instead of you. To live the perfect life that you have not lived. I'm going to do it in your place as your substitute. Now that is so important for us to understand. Because today there's, a, there's so much confusion about Christianity Still, people, if you ask them, what is a Christian? Well, it's someone, who, someone who's good, someone who's moral, you know. And if you're good and, you're, and you help your neighbor and you're kind to old ladies and help them cross the road, then, then you'll get to heaven. It's about what you do. And Jesus says, no, it's not. See, the thing is, if that were true, If it were true that we could get to heaven, we could be saved by being good, then why would Jesus Christ come? God could just send a prophet, anyone, and say, here are the things you are to do, go and do them. There would be no need for Jesus Christ to come into this world, but he did come. And he came to take our place, the place of people like us, to be our substitute, to do What we could not do to fulfill that law in every part, in every detail that we've just seen, we cannot obey. He has come to do that for us. And he didn't just do it once, but he did it twice. He fulfilled it perfectly. He perfectly obeyed God's law. He loved God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his strength, with all of his being, all of the time. And he loved his neighbor perfectly as well. He did that perfectly. And then, not only that, but he went to the cross and he died and he paid the penalty for breaking God's law. You see, there are two ways that you can keep God's law. There's two ways you can keep any law. I guess you still have TV licenses here, do you? In the UK? Yeah? Well, there's two ways you can keep that law. You can buy a TV license. And then the law has no hold on you. If they come knocking at your door, you can produce this piece of paper and say, I have a license. I have obeyed the law. Or you may not buy a TV license and get caught. I'm sorry, I'm not recommending that, please. (laughs) But you might not buy a TV license and then get caught. And what happens? They fine you. And you pay the fine. And once you've paid the fine... That's it. The law has no hold on you. You obey the law or you pay the penalty for breaking the law. And Jesus did both. He obeyed God's law perfectly and he paid the penalty for breaking God's law in the place of people like us. Christ did that all. And that is good news. That is the best news. It is not by being good. It is not by being moral. It is not by trying harder. But it is simply by taking hold of Jesus Christ. Of being joined to him by faith. We just had a, a wedding in, in Latvia the last week before we came. And it was just wonderful to see. And one, one of the things that you know you do in the marriage service is, you know, all that I have, I give to you. And all that I have, I give to you. And you make that swap yeah. And it's... The same when we are joined to Christ, we're married to Him, and all that we have is Christ. What do we have? Sin and disobedience. Christ takes it all. And all that He has, perfect righteousness, goodness and holiness. And it's counted as ours. By faith, by trust in Christ. Our sins are forgiven, they're cleansed, they're pardoned, they're washed away. And Christ's perfect record, his perfect obedience, is counted as mine. I stand before God as righteous as Christ. Not because I've been good, but because Christ was good for me. And we could stop there, but I think there's even more. Because when Jesus talks about our righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees, we have to understand, well, what was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? What kind of righteousness did they have? And you can read later in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 23, for example, where Jesus talks about uh, the scribes and Pharisees, or particularly the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And he talks about them as being hypocrites. He talks about this external righteousness that they have. They, they look good, On the outside, they are like whitewashed tombs, but inside full of dead bones. There's hypocrisy. There's wickedness. There's greed and self-indulgence inside. But on the outside, they look great. Pharisees make great neighbors. They cut the grass. They keep their house in order. They're the best neighbors to have. But Jesus looks deeper than just the externals. He looks at their heart. And all that they do, he's saying, is not out of love for him and out of love for others, but it is out of love for themselves. To look good, to have that reputation. And As we read the the Gospels, it's very easy for us to condemn the Pharisees. Yet we need to turn the light upon ourselves and ask ourselves those questions. It's very easy to look good as a Christian, to do the right things, to say the right words, to come and sing hymns and songs, and to pray out loud. But is it just external? Does it come from my heart? Does it come because I've been touched by the the wonderful grace of God, and I'm so thankful for what he has done for me? Or is it just a front? Is it just an act? We need to ask ourselves those questions. Because Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not just concerned about our actions, what we do. But we will see tomorrow he is concerned about why we do what we do, our motives as well. Jesus is not saying here, do more righteous deeds. He's not talking about the quantity of good. But he's talking about the quality. It has to be a righteousness that comes from the heart. In fact, what Jesus is talking about here, he's talking really about what Nicodemus, what he talked to Nicodemus about. When Nicodemus, do you remember, came to him at night. And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. Nicodemus didn't get it. He said, how how can I get into my mother's womb again? How can I go back? And Jesus was not talking about physically being born again talking about being born of the water and of the Spirit. It's what God himself had promised in the Old Testament. Let me just read these words from Ezekiel 36. This is a promise of God, and he says here, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean." I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's what Jesus is talking about here, I think. He's talking about when you become a Christian. It's not that you start just stop doing some things and start doing another, other things. But you are radically changed. You're given a new heart. God's spirit is put within you. You become a new creation. You're born again. You're a different person different, you see? A new heart and God's spirit with new desires, new values, everything changes. It's a radical transformation. We are different when we become Christians. It's a work of God's spirit. God himself is at work in us. He's changing us. He's making us more like himself, more like his son, more like the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are able to reflect him better. We're able to show what God is like to people around us. And because we're different, we live in a different way. We're going to look more at that tomorrow and Thursday. But let me just leave you with a couple of things to think about. This gospel is good news. And yet it's very humbling good news. Because it's saying If you're a Christian, it's not because you were good, not because you're better than other people, it's not because you're more moral than others, but it is simply God's grace. If you're a Christian this morning, it is because God had mercy upon you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it, but God showered his grace upon you, which means we cannot be proud people. We cannot boast about our Salvation. We cannot look around at others and look down on them and think, well, in some way we are better. We're no better than anyone else. But God had mercy upon us. What that should should mean in our lives is that smell of self-righteousness should not be there. But rather there should be the refreshing aroma of God's grace that surrounds us. It is by grace we have been saved, not by our own works, but because of what Christ has done, his life, his death, his resurrection for me. We should be the humblest people, and we ought to be the most joyful people. This is good news. It is the best news. It is not by your efforts. But it is because what Christ has done, he did it all. And he did it all for people like us. And you know what? Well, you know, whenever you have something that excites you, you want to tell others about it. i see, people have a new phone, and they can't wait to show, look, look what it does. They want to show everyone else. How much more has Christ done for us? How much more should that excite us? How much more should we want to share that with others? Oh, how great he is. Let us praise him. Let me pray. Father God, we're so thankful for this good news, this wonderful gospel. Father, I pray that we would always be amazed by it, that we will never get used to it. But we will fall back in amazement to remember what you have done for us by your love and by your grace and mercy. And I pray, Father, that there will be great joy in our hearts as we seek to share that good news with others. May we not be proud and boastful, looking down on others, thinking that in some way we are better. And that's why we're Christians. Oh, Father, humble us, we pray. Grant us that joy. And enable us, we pray, to share and to sing this good news to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.